HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Juul, sous vide by Chef Steps. Juul takes the guesswork out of cooking. Learn more at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on Heritage Radio Network. Extremely late today because we had a we had our weekly China call, which we can't do on Tuesdays anymore, Nastasia. Our weekly call. I know. To okay, to be more precise, to our team in China, we are not calling the China. entire country. Entire China. country, yeah. From first piece in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Joined as usual with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Stas? Good. Yeah. We got Matt in the booth. How you doing? I'm doing great. Yep. Call in your questions, but make them brief because we only have 20 like minutes. Whatever today. It's gonna be a quick one. Seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight. That's seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight. So uh, after the radio program today, Nastasia, we need to do some Bob's Red Mill talking. Specifically, they want me to talk about amaranth flower and sorghum flower. But you know what I'm super sick of in general? I'm ads. sure, Nastasia, I'm sure you hate this as well. Doing ads? Oh, no. I mean, like, whatever. Gotta pay the bills. I don't know why we gotta pay the bills, honestly. But we have to pay the bills. But uh, no, but like, when someone gives you a recipe for like a gluten-free flour, what do they always freaking say? What's the thing they always say? It tastes just like regular flour. No, they never say that because uh. it's untrue. What, what do they say? Matt, do you pay attention to the world? Nastasia clearly doesn't. No, no, I'm on her level. It's like she's not even in the food business. It's crazy. I Although know. I have to say, Nastasia. Okay, so we were on Nastasia's this call. Nastasia's in the hospitality business. She cares about people. Uh, well, that's not what I heard this morning on the telephone. It's <laughs> an employee. Because, yeah, so he's not people. So Nastasia, <laughs> first of all, my, Nastasia feel. calls into this call with China, which is, by the way, hard enough to hear because they're connecting on Skype. And, like, I don't know whether the, you know, Chinese mainland government isn't slick enough to not, like, when they're listening in on whatever our engineer is saying. Like his connection is the worst connection in the in the universe. Constantly, we can never hear what he's saying mm-hmm. ever. Nastasia, meanwhile, is on speakerphone in the middle of a New York City street because she's walking a pasta was flyer. Whatever. With me and I couldn't do the call in my house because you didn't want them to hear. They might steal they were ideas. They were still sleeping. Oh Jesus. Yeah, I know. So then, 
she shows up and she starts yelling at her employee <laughs> like like worse than I yell at my kids when it's like the same F up they've done every she's like Well the thing is is that he's mopping in the dark. Mopping the restaurant front of house in the dark. He does it by feel. No. And then I'm like, hey, person's name, person's name. He has his headphones on so loud he cannot hear me. So that just raises my anger level. Yeah. 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 Of course, as far as he knows, he's there alone. So why wouldn't he? Mopping in the dark. The dark is No, no, dark. no. I walked in and I was like, hey. And then I sat down to do the call. And then I was like, it's dark. <laughs> yeah. But the, the tone of voice Nastasia used, like, honestly, if I was that dude, I would have been like, this lady wants me to quit. I'm going to quit right now. <laughs> you like, heard me talk to UPS. That was oh, my God. Nastasia <laughs> Nastasia should have been arrested for what she said to UPS. Yeah. Like, honestly, yeah. you're not allowed to physically threaten people. Although, good news, uh, Amazon is going to have three headquarters, not just two. So, they're, so like, they're going to have their Seattle headquarters or wherever in the hell they are. And then, remember, they were going to have their countrywide search for where they were going to put their second headquarters? Well, they decided to do two. One outside of Virginia and one, Nastasia, in Long Island City. Mm. So now you can physically go over there and, and choke out somebody <laughs> at Amazon. <laughs> People, here's like a good health tip. Like, do not do business with Nastasia and then move within choking range. <laughs> she will find you. I, honestly, I can't believe that you weren't. That you weren't, like, that no police showed up at your door after the threats you made to the UPS That's the people. first time I felt bad about things I said. Uh, I believe you have a caller. Oh, caller, you're on the air. Hey, Dave, it's uh, Jay from Alden again. How you doing? I'm good. So, um, I picked up the, the Cooking Around the World series that you... Oh, yeah. I don't know. The, the Time Life one? The one yeah. from uh, yeah, like yeah, the yeah, early yeah. 70s? Yeah, great, great, right? Yeah, I've read like 10, 10 of the volumes. But uh, right now I'm making the SEMA beverage, like some lemon-flavored mead from Scandinavia. Ooh, okay. Yeah, you never made it, right? No, no. Basically, it's just lemon, sugar, and active dry yeast. Okay, but so and, it's sugar, so it's not a mead. It's like it's got. Yeah, I know. It's like why? Why did they say mead? But mm, yeah. next time I might use honey. Yeah, but, uh, although we should get yeah. that mead guy back on from Enlightenment Wines. I mean, the thing is, yeah. is that obviously, if it's Scandinavian, back in the you ever read Beowulf? There's mead all up and down in Beowulf. It's all everywhere. The mead bench. No, if, yeah. but like I've read other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So you, you would have no idea how much ABV it will turn out to be. Oh, that's an easy calculation to do uh, okay. if you're using white sugar. I don't happen to know it off the top of my head. Yeah. But you can just look up, uh, you know, bricks to uh, potential alcohol, and then you can just okay. convert the uh, the sugar to potential alcohol because this is a thing that brewers worry about constantly. So, yeah. or anyone that is doping in sugar. I just Again, I just don't happen to have it off the top of my head. I know that... That when I ferment orange juice, I ferment pretty much. Uh, I have to add sugar to it, and it starts out at around eleven bricks, so eleven percent sugar yeah. by weight. And I have to add sugar to it, so it's not one to one. So if you want, let's say eight percent alcohol, you're going to need more than 
8% sugar, I think. But again, it's been a long time since I run the calculations. But they, that's an easily knowable thing on any one of the brewer's uh, sites, bricks to uh, potential alcohol scales, what they call it, because they don't know if you're going to ferment dry or not. So obviously any residual sugar that you leave is, is potential alcohol that you didn't convert. Okay, yeah. yeah. So what I'm doing right now is lemon. I was thinking about other varieties once I get started. And, well, probably using citrus would be, like, pretty the simple. Orange is good. I mean, the good thing about orange yeah. is the residual acidity that's in orange juice is nice. And the residual – it's clar- I use clarified, of course. I've never tried unclarified. And the residual bitterness that's in clarified orange juice is nice once it's fermented dry. It doesn't tend to last, so you can't, you know, the flavor of it I didn't like as much when it had been aged for, you know, three, four months as when it was, you know, yeah. fresher on the order of like a couple yeah, of weeks yeah. old after the initial primary is done. Um, I mean, the, the one problem if you haven't done a lot of fermenting before is you'll probably have a tendency to make it too acidic on the beginning. Uh, and then once it ferments dead dry, it's going to be extraordinarily tart because the sugar will be gone. Unless you don't ferment it dead dry. You could do a partial fermentation, in which case residual acidity is more your friend, um, if that makes sense. By fermenting it dead dry, like I, you know, this is the first time I'm making any sort of alcoholic beverage. What do you mean? Well, so like the sugar that's in there, Right, it, it, as you convert yeah. it to alcohol, then it, there won't be any more that that sugar will be gone away. So, you know, it, like when I oh. do ciders and 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 other things, I tend to try to ferment almost all of the sugar away. Other people, uh, for instance, there's techniques in cider making called keeving. There's all sorts of techniques to try to stop the fermentation. Uh, at, you know, at some point mid cycle, so that oh, okay. so that some, there's yeah. residual sugar, but. Um, you know, and sometimes things will just get stuck, so there'll be a lot of residual sugar. Like the fermentation will just end for you know a number of reasons. The yeast is inhibited by something, or in fact, honey. A lot of like a lot of mead. Uh, you know, first time mead makers will have problems with their distillation. It's called getting stuck, uh, and so you'll end up with a higher you know proportion of sugar and less therefore alcohol. But if you are going to ferment something until it is completely dry, so until the sugar is gone, then just have to take into account the fact that you know uh, the acidity will taste uh, you know du- you know much more present than than you might expect. Okay, yeah. Okay, uh, another quick question: What's your best recommendation as to an inexpensive meat grinder? Ooh, I don't have a I don't have a good one. Uh, I have the KitchenAid but, one, and I don't really not, like it. I hate no. it. Right, some people no, buy no, that. I, yeah, yeah, I once made uh, mortadella with it. And yeah, it's no good. Never doing that again. Yeah, some people but, uh, use that. Uh, I believe it. It's Czech, I think that like one that was built, the old one, the the hand grinder that's you know uh, like a casting. Uh, okay. But you know, I don't have any good luck with it. I should research uh, inexpensive so you don't, grinders. You I don't have grind meat a lot. I mean, I just deal with garbage. I mean, like in other words, I don't have in other words the stuff that I do when I grind it. I just don't like it. 
I just think it's low low quality. The, is the only thing you're using is the KitchenAid attachment. Yeah, it's garbage. It's just wretched. Okay, all right. So you have to cut it. You know, like the thing with the KitchenAid attachment yeah. is it smears so easily. So you have to like uh, cut things into into long strips. I mean, everyone that owns a real grinder loves it. Uh, people like so I've used for instance the inexpensive sausage stuffers from places like Grizzly, yeah. right? Which is non you know a catalog, and it works fine. It's not as well put together as the more professional ones. Like the welds are really crappy, and the grinds on the welds are really crappy. So presumably it's more difficult to sanitize. Uh, they also have relatively inexpensive grinders that may be good. I just don't have any personal so experience with what's them. What's the brand name? Well, like a catalog that sells that stuff is kind of is Grizzly, the G R I Z Z L Y. Like they're mainly a tool company, but okay. they also cater to hunters, right? And uh, and so hunters have to process a lot of sausage, so they have sausage. I don't have to, but they do. So they have things like sausage stuffers and meat grinders, and they tend to be cheaper than Bass Pro, which also sells these things, or Cabela's, which also sells these things. So, you know, um, like once it's being sold into a professional kitchen, the prices go way up. But when it's sold to a hobbyist or a hunter or something like this who still has the need for professional grinding abilities, the price can come way down. Now, the quality probably also comes down. But if you're not using it every day in service, then it's probably not, you know, not that big of a deal. But, you know, I doubt you're going to have anything – it's going to, you know, rival like the, you know, the butt-kicking Hobarts that, uh, you know, we had back at the school. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot. All right. Well, have if, you, if you have any good experience, tweet it over to me. Let me know, uh, let me know what you get. Yeah, Tell me how I your don't stuff know. Like, I, I made an amazing Moradella even though it should have turned out like seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, All right. you know, it, look, if you're doing a small amounts, so you can get away with almost anything, you know? Anyway, good luck with it. This program is brought to you by Jewel Sous Vide. My name is Katie Mosman-Wadler. I'm the executive director of HRN and a real-life Jewel user. I use Jewel to help me host the most delicious dinner parties. When you cook with Jewel, there's zero guesswork. So steak, chicken, seafood, turkey, vegetables, and eggs all come out exactly the way you like them. The Paired app is super intuitive and has a great visual dentist guide. Jewel is awesome for prepping many perfect portions, making it easy to cook for a crowd, and it's hands-free so you can focus on entertaining while Jewel does the work. And pro tip, Jewel is also great for travel. I throw mine in my suitcase if I'm headed to a rental house with any kind of uncertain kitchen. From perfect steak to juicy, tender Thanksgiving turkey, Jewel makes the best food you've ever tasted. Just be sure to save some room for mini jars of pumpkin pie. Jewel, perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash jewel and use code HRN, as in Heritage Radio Network, to get $15 off for a limited time. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E, code HRN. Uh, Dave, we got another question from the internet. Oh, what is it? It says, hello, Nastasia and Dave. This is from Sam in Chicago. I uh, love the show. Looking for an alternative to the sous vide turkey this year. You mentioned a method where you spatchcock the bird lay it over a pile of stuffing, and blast it in a hot oven. I've listened to every episode, and I can't remember if it was a new one or an old one. I can't find this spec. Would you mind going over this again? Sure. So uh, you can do, depending on how much you take out, you're going to speed up the cooking 
uh, more or less. But if you're willing, see, the thing about it is, is you can make something that looks relatively bird shaped. The, the thing that I don't like about a lot of like the classic kind of roulade things is they don't end up looking like birds, which is okay if you're a French person, but not okay if you're doing an American kind of a, a Thanksgiving. So what you can do is just cut along the backbone and you can cut along the backbone kind of on either side and rip it out. And then you can even rip out some of the, uh, you can rip out, you know, the, the internal carcass of the, of the bird there. And it's a lot easier than doing, for instance, when I use, was doing the turkey where I'd have to put the exoskeleton in, I would have to do what's called inside-out boning where you'd roll the bird apart and remove the skeleton without making a cut in the meat at all. And that takes a long time on a turkey, a lot longer than it does on a smaller bird like a quail, especially if you have Nastasia Lopez sitting next to you pestering you about how long it's taking. Remember how mean you were to me, Nastasia? Yes. She's like, it's taking you a long time, Dave. It's taking you a long time on like a freaking frozen, freaking turkey trying to inside out bone it so it looks good on TV. And Nastasia is doing nothing but sitting there. Nastasia is very good at sitting there and pushing your buttons while you have a sharp knife in your hand. She's the worst. Worst. Uh, anyways, so this is much easier. You just cut out the backbone and then like kind of pry it open. Snap the joints at the at the le- you know at the legs and at the wings. Rip out those bones. You can take out you know uh, you can leave the rest of the bones in really. But then so you have those bones now. You can roast them off and make a a, a gravy with them, which is what I would do. So then you make a a stuffing shaped uh, kind of mound. I mean, sorry, a, a, a bird cavity shaped mound on uh you know on a tray or whatever and then you roast that or cook it or uh, what i typically do is i'll make a like a bag and i'll make like a plug like sous vide almost of that and i'll cook the stuffing as its own kind of thing like a football and then i'll have it hot really hot like you know hot uh like you know steaming temperature and then you'll have your bird and because you've taken all the bones out it's going to most of the bones out it's going to cook relatively quickly also the stuffing is already at cooking temperature so you don't need to get it hot it's already hot and it's already been made safe then you can drape the bird over the stuffing in the shape of a bird by the way you can also have brined it already injected brine into the breast and whatnot and you can drape it and dry it if you want you should dry the skin drape it over the stuffing and it cooks relatively uh quickly not as quickly as like the actual flat pressed spatchcock against a sheet tray which is the absolute fastest way to cook it but it's again then it's going to look like a flat turkey and not like a turkey turkey for thanksgiving does that make any sense Mm -hmm. all right uh, ooh, the internets, the internets. All right, uh, let's get to the questions that were written in. Uh, this is from uh, Gaz Herbert. Uh, I am writing after having done some research on peppercorn infusions, for which there seems to be little material online, especially in the gastronomic applications I'm interested in. It occurred to me uh, that you may know about this stuff after reading through uh, Liquid Intelligence. I mean, I have a pepper infusion in the in the book, Nastasia. Not I that Nastasia. I remember it. You remember me making it. You've never opened the book no, I've once. Never opened the book. I mean, I don't know. Did you ever? No, I read my. The paper thank itself you. is not useful as toilet paper <laughs> or as a Kleenex. I read so my you, thank you. You re- oh you you looked to see whether I had thanked you or not, and that was it. So she's opened the first three pages. Miracle. Um, I love your use of interesting spices uh, and relate to your perfectionism here at Ikoyi, a West African fine dining restaurant in London. 
Uh, my question is, when it comes to infusing peppercorns and spices in non-alcoholic solutions, such as milk or water, what is the ideal temperature and time for infusion, and what, scientifically speaking, are the consequences of going above or below this temperature slash time? Take as an example peppercorns, cloves, and star anise, which, by the way, our friend Leanne Wong has said was her porn star name, which is amazing, right? Star, star anise? No, she said it would be star anus. Well... He's just mispronouncing anise. Well, aren't you? We had another woman at the French Culinary who used to mispronounce something in a oh, horrifying Jesus. way. Yeah. I can't say no, it can't online. Say I mean, uh, but like literally, whenever she opened her mouth and said these words, Nastasia and I were like, "Boom!" Let's just say ever- she would travel to a certain country. Yeah, and yeah. Mispronounce it, but, but mispronounce it in the most horrible way, and like, and like, it was like. It was like, you know, when you see the shock waves and you see the skin like in slow-mo and like the cheeks are like getting flapped over, like when they do those explosion slow-mos, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like that. Yeah, Nastasha yeah, yeah. was like, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, Starianus. Uh, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Uh, infusing into milk, would 90 degrees centigrade for two hours be too high, too long? Uh, all the best. So look, a lot depends. Let me tell you what the variables are. First of all. Milk, whole milk, by the way, or as my grandpa liked to say, like to say, milk, because he did not admit that skim milk was, in fact, milk. Um, and he lived to be 98. So there you have it. Uh, although that's such a dumb argument. I hate people who make arguments oh, with like yeah. an N of one. So there I are, self-hate, right? Anyway, whatever. Um, so the point being that milk is a good choice because it has some fat, and a lot of these spices, especially, um, uh, specifically black pepper, the the actual nice flavors in it, like uh, piperine and all the other uh, all the other good kind of uh, aromatic volatile stuff, not extremely soluble in water, which is why. And also, it's volatile stuff. So Jeffrey Steingarten, you know our friend Jeffrey Steingarten, who, by the way, all the younger people out there, if you haven't read The Man Who Ate Everything, you should go ahead and read that seminal seminal book in its subject, and you know very early person of that kind of kind. And, uh, you know, kind of a curmudgeon and, you know, more than kind of a curmudgeon. In the best ways. Yeah. And, and, the, and the worst. Best and worst. Lo- I love, love love myself some Jeffrey Steingarten. Anyways, um, point being, uh, he was like, Dave, why do you add pepper early on in – he used to he would call me. He would literally – he would just call Nastasia and, and me and just yell at us for our practices even though he had – like we, we w- would not have seen him in like a year and he would just call us and start yelling at us, right, Nastasia? Yeah, we'd see the number come up on our phone and be like, it's your turn. Yeah, yeah, because it, we knew that it was going to be like eight hours of him yelling at us about yes. X, Y, or Z. He's like, Dave, why do you add pepper early on in cooking? All that's left at the end is the bitterness and none of the great aromatics. Why don't you add it at the end? And I was like, Jeffrey, I like those bitter notes. Why can't I add it two times? He had no response, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So the problem with pepper is one a lot of especially things like soups is a lot of those like awesome aromatic compounds are one volatile and two uh not super soluble in water they should be more soluble in the fat in the butter fat that's in milk i think right so then there's there's two things that are going on there's loss of volatiles because the stuff's like literally evaporating right uh there's a loss of volatiles because it's also just not infusing into whatever liquid you're using and then there's the actual destruction of the uh, of those uh flavors and aromas due to the heat so you, you know you have to separate some of these things so in a sealed system where there's no air 
right? It might be possible to have a higher temperature, and because you're not volatilizing anything because it's sealed, maybe it's possible to keep those uh, things uh, in solution if they actually want to dissolve into it, right? So you might run into a situation there where it's good. So 90 degrees C in milk in the, on a stovetop, you probably will have evaporated a lot of those volatiles and they won't be there. Right. So I read a study that even just your grinding temperature that you use, right, if you if you, you know, you grind refrigerated or frozen pepper with dry ice, black pepper versus grinding it at a higher temperature because of the friction of grinding, like let's say 40, 50, 50 degrees Celsius results in a huge loss in the volatile components, presumably to the atmosphere because you can smell them. Right. Not presumably due to autolysis where the stuff is breaking itself apart. So I think, in other words, it might be possible in a sealed container to get a decent uh, higher temperature extraction of pepper, but I don't know for sure. You'd have to run some tests. The other thing you could do is try to do infusions under high pressure at lower temperatures, even in the milk, in something like anisi under you know high pressure like you know 10 bar or so, 10, 11 bar, something uh, there, right? Um, and then you could do a side by side with it with heat. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's like doing the side by sides and kind of seeing what uh, what what you get. Not yet. We don't yeah, we do. Yet. We we, we do. still have nine minutes. They have a show at one, and you have to record. The cat's ads. not even here She's yet. She's right there. She's right here, and you do need to record those ads. Yeah. All right. One thing I'll say before we go on. Uh, Nick wrote in and asked for the spec on the vodka cranustino. Uh, it is, I believe, five to one cranberry fresh cranberry to uh, vodka. It might be four to one, but I believe it's five to one. Uh, and then just blend it with uh, SPL, uh, spin it out. Uh, the buttered popcorn rum is literally just, you know, pour, like, po air pop some popcorn, pour the rum over it. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, it's a, you know, it's a lot. We just do it, let it sit there for like two, three hours, strain it off, press the hell out of it, melt butter, keep the butter, uh, you know, stir it in. It doesn't take that much butter, frankly. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. Uh, stir it, let it stay liquid with like a, what's it called? Uh, immersion circulator uh, for overnight covered so you're not losing anything and then uh, freeze it and strain it off. Uh, and then uh, someone was going to try to make activated charcoal with uh, rye bread, uh, but I don't think it's going to work. And I'll talk more about it next week, Kevin. But um, activated charcoal is very difficult to make, and I would look at the books there are uh, online uh, on activated charcoal, how different and complicated it is from just plain charcoal. And once you turn into charcoal, it won't taste like rye bread anymore unless it's just something you really want to do. Now, on to Bob's Red Mill, because what we started to talk about at the beginning of the show and we never finished and can we just bleed this into the uh, ads, Matt, or no? No. But anyway, what I was going to try to get Nastasia to say that I hate is when people are like, you could just add it to pancakes or muffins. Anytime someone has a gluten-free flour, they're like, just make way with your pancakes, muffins, cookies. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It's irritating. Because, like, obviously, you know, I do that all the time. I add oats to my pancakes and all, but it's not interesting. So I've been trying to work with these products to try to see if I can make something that is interesting. But anyway, I have not 100% successful yet, but I have run a lot of tests. I was working on a scrapple, a, a sorghum-based uh, scrapple, sorghum-based biscuits, and Joar roti uh, stuff. But anyway, so we'll talk about it later, more next week. I got to record some ads, make some money, Bob's Red Mill, cooking issues.
listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.